Three words to encapsulate this last year, I would say, would be empathy, volatility, and perseverance. That these these three words really mean a lot to me, and they they they've really been proven to be almost like a guideline for me in order to get through uh, what has been the hardest year of my life. My name is Miguel Hernandez. I've been working for Public Works for about 11 years, and I work in the streets and highways section, as well as the infrastructure task force. I've been really going back and forth constantly, trying to decide if this was a good idea, a bad idea, if I wanted to share my story, if it would help me, if it would hurt me. You know, you know, the last thing I want is this like one-upism, you know, but I just, I really felt like it might be a story that people wanted to hear. And it's, it's something that, um, that I, I, I felt like I might regret not sharing. A lot of the time I would think to myself, you know, why me? Why me? You know, I, I, I'm relatively healthy. I get a good amount of exercise. I bike to work. You know, why me? But, you know, conversely, I think a better way of thinking about it is why not me? You know, why not me? I spent the first 37 years of my life as an absolutely healthy person out of hospitals, out of emergency rooms. And, you know, there's something to be said about that. There's, there's something that's important about that, that I am somebody who was fortunate enough to live a life until I was in my late thirties that was completely free of any medical trauma. So in a, in a sense, it's, you know, why not me? Well, I can't really talk about the last year without talking about um, a few months prior. Um, uh, I was, uh, you know, as we were winding down the year of 2019, um, there were some things that were winding up uh, with me. Um, I uh, was initially starting to show some strange symptoms and some strange kind of um, uh, body aches and, uh, I, you know, kind of those kind of turned into flu-like sy symptoms. And, um, you know, I started experiencing some, some night sweats on occasion. And, um, you know, I, I knew something was off, but, uh, you know, I was in and out of the, of the doctor's office and they were doing a lot of blood work and, you know, something was really off. And I could really tell when uh, I was on a mountain bike ride and it's a, it's a ride that I've done many, many times. And there's one climb in particular that uh, kind of separates, um, you know, the people that are out for leisure with people who are actually out there to, to try to improve and, and get to, um, um, you know, the top of the hill. And halfway up, I completely petered out. I completely petered out and I just sat on the side of the trail. And I said, man, something is really, really wrong here. Something is really, really wrong. And this was in January of 2020. Um, uh, so subsequently, or, you know, shortly after that, 
I, uh, I was able to get in front of a, a, a pulmonologist and um, he had me do a, a CT scan. And this is when uh, the first indication that, that something, there was, a, there was an absolute abnormality. Um, they had noticed that I had three um, lymph node areas, conglomerates, which they had found to be um, rather large. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, they had me do um, an initial biopsy, uh, which was inconclusive and um, essentially, uh, you know, kind of left me with high hopes that this was something that they would, they would, uh, they would be able to find out exactly what it was. Uh, but um, after my second biopsy, which was much more invasive, I got the news uh, that I was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. All of this was at the same time that, um, as we all know, you know this this uh, this mysterious virus was was making its way across the globe, and we were starting to see the initial uh, cases in the Bay Area on the West Coast. So, in a way, it really felt like two trains, you know, on a collision course on the same track heading towards each other. Literally the next day, many, many counties in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, would be going into um, a stay-at-home order. So my entire world got flipped upside down within a matter of about 48 hours. I had my initial first meeting with my oncologist uh, to talk about um, the, my prognosis, my treatment schedule, and the duration of how long I would be going under uh, chemotherapy treatment. And uh, it was also just quite possibly the worst time in my life to become immunodeficient. Um, at the time when I really needed all my defenses uh, to be at 100%, you know, uh, I was about to undergo uh, a very aggressive treatment that was going to be compromising my defenses against COVID. So this was just really, really hard to take in and extremely scary. You know, I, I wasn't even seeing my oncologist in person, and uh, it was a uh, a very, uh, very unsure time to put it to put it very, uh, very um, calmly. You know, there is there is a there was some good news is that we had a um, a close family friend who was a retired oncologist, and she was able to um, be our impromptu second opinion for any sort of uh, additional uh, feedback we needed, or if we needed to run anything by them, or any decisions that were being made. It was really great to be able to, say, you know, to, to send her a quick message, you know, copy and paste a biopsy report, a pathology report, uh, you know, the names of the drugs they were using. It was extremely nice uh, to have that 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 um, uh, that option. My, I had a, a port installed in my chest in order to ease the uh, the chemotherapy drugs, and because of COVID, uh, there was no visitor. There were no visitors allowed, and my wife um, would uh, you know we'd load up all the kids into the into the car, and my wife would drop me off in front of the uh, the Kaiser Building in Walnut Creek. Um, you know, I'd say goodbye and then go inside. Um, and it was my, my first time inside of a, uh, an infusion chemotherapy uh, clinic. 
Second of all, seeing how COVID had kind of transformed what would have been a, a typical uh, visit, you know, all the patients around me had empty visitor chairs next to them. And, uh, you know, you would see the entire spectrum of, of people, you know, dealing with their own battles, um, people who, um, you know, were, were seemingly in there just to get a medicine administered to people who were potentially, you know, on their, their last weeks, um, just really fighting till the end. And, you know, obviously everybody was masked and it was, uh, it was, it was very strange. It was very strange because a mask in itself, it, it hides people's facial uh, expression. Um, you know, you only see people's eyes and eyebrows. Um, so it, it was, you know, you, you would, you would hear nurses kind of trying to calm uh, patients down or kind of talk to them and, you know, conversations, but everybody has this very, very alert look on their face because you can't see the smile. You can't see the, 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 the emotion of empathy, the emotion of, 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 um, you know, positivity or, or all of that. So it was a very, um, very surreal. It was a very surreal environment. After my diagnosis and after my first treatment, I, uh, I, I received a surprise um, video that my family in Spain had put together. Uh, they had made a collage video of, of, of um, all of our, all of my aunts, uncles, cousins, all taking turns, my, my grandma, all taking turns saying, you know, Fuerza, Miguel, Fuerza. Fuerza, Miguel, Fuerza. Which means, you know, strength, Miguel, strength. You know, keep at it, you know, keep the battle going. Uh, we love you and all this. So it was, it was a huge um, uh, motivational moment for me just to kind of keep at it. And, and um, uh, one of my, one of my cl very, very close family friends in Spain recorded himself singing a song, which was very, very touching. If I could put anything into a time capsule, I would put in the video. You know, I feel like that was uh, just something that embodies the um, the love that I that, that I felt. It it embodies the challenge that I experienced, and it really kind of um, it frames, uh, you know, the physical and geographical detachment that we all experienced and that you know we had to come up with other ways of celebrating and come come up with other ways of 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 supporting um during these hard moments um obviously not just for me but for everybody so just to have that that video from friends and family just really is something that I want to memorialize and be able to dig up, you know, decades from now and, 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 and re-experience. We have three little girls, um, ages seven, uh, five and two. And uh, one thing we battled a lot with was how much do we tell them? You know, how, how, like, what, how far do we open up that door? And, you know, we, we, 
we already knew the world was a really scary place for them. We decided to tell them that, you know, Papa is going through treatments, that he is sick, that he's going through treatments, but that he's going to be okay. And that's as much as they really understood. They knew that I would go in, they'd be in the car when they dropped me off, I'd, I'd wave goodbye. And then they'd come back a few hours later and, and they'd all be in the car again. And I'd pick up and I would, I would be, um, you know, kind of a zombie. I would be half awake, half asleep. They would see the, uh, the effects, the damage, the effects that, that the drugs were doing. That they would, they would know that, okay, you know, we're not going to really see dad for a while um, until he's, you know, feeling better. On my good weeks, you know, I, I was feeling pretty good. I was feeling, um, you know, I was in the backyard with them and I would uh, sometimes go on short walks. And, you know, it was, it was great to, to really, to be able to, to, to be home with them and to see them and to, and to, to remind them on a biweekly basis that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm still here. You know, the fact that my girls weren't, completely aware of everything that was happening around them granted them the opportunity to uh to smile a lot and to you know to to just be be happy for what you can be happy about the fact that you know i'm not away from them for you know 9 10 11 hours a day um that i'm able to spend time with them um you know it was it was really great to see their their smiles in in a situation where it's hard for you to see the the positivity and it's it's you're constantly struggling to stay optimistic for them to just be just absolutely amazed at the world and to have this sort of optimism built into them and just be happy about little things about seeing some butterflies in the backyard for you know having learned a new trick on their bike and just seeing them them excited um, about something really kind of helped tip the scale the other way. It really kind of made me feel like we're not just in a world of gloom, that there is a lot of love and a lot of happiness. Uh, meanwhile, you know, my wife is uh, pretty much holding up the entire fort here at home. After my treatments, I would be pretty much bedridden for nearly a week every time. Um, and during that week, I would be in bed and my wife would be preparing meals and, you know, doing distance learning. Um, she would be uh, bringing me food to my, to my bed. She would be um, putting the girls to bed in the evening, being outside with them. So it was, it was really just a full family effort. And, you know, whatever challenge that I was dealing with, with my own recovery, you know, she was reciprocating it extensively with her own challenges here at home. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a time when, when you needed friends, you needed family. Um, and, you know, everybody was, was you know, at, in some way in panic mode as well. They were, um, they were dealing with their own struggles and their own battles, uh, which I completely understand. You know, had I not been going through my own, my own issues, I feel like I really would have been in the same shoes, you know, and, and um, everybody has battles going on that we don't see that we don't hear about that they go unspoken unnoticed but they're there and that's what i kept on telling myself was that you know we're all going through this together we're all going through this together 
after my my first uh, treatment, um, some very close friends of mine set up a food train uh, where food was getting dropped off at our house, and that was a a huge help. Um, twice a week, we'd get um, this big carton of food, these prepared meals, and um, that was extremely helpful to get through, you know, the, these months. And I I received an outcry uh, of, of support um, from Public Works employees, people that I have worked with for years, people that I know dear and you know very very dearly, and people who I've I've never heard of, people who are were complete strangers to me, reached out and they um, they donated sick time, they gave me a phone call and, and they checked in to see how I was doing. Um, I even had a contractor call me to, to check in with me. Um, so the, there was a real sense of, of family within the public works um, community, within, within our public works uh, as an agency. In mid-May of 2020, I had a check-in uh, with the imaging center where they performed a, a follow-up PET scan. And this was the first good news that I received in nearly six months. Miguel, things are getting better and we can take you off one of the four chemotherapy drugs. And we're going to stay the course. You know, you've got 12 treatments total. You've got nine left. The next nine are going to be without this, uh, uh, this additional uh, rather dangerous chemotherapy drugs. So let's let's continue forward and just keep doing what you're doing. And that was a that was a huge win. I can't even explain. I can't really even form into words how emotional that that really was. You know, with with the election coming on and all the craziness with that, and with the Black Lives Matter movement just starting to ramp up, to finally get a little bit of good news, it really just. It really just made me feel like we, you know, there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel and, and it's important to just stay strong and keep the faith. I went through the summer and into early fall with, um, with my treatments and um, slowly getting better and better, feeling better um, when I was in between, in between treatments. Um, and, you know, my last day uh, of treatment, I, um, it, I remember it clearly. It was uh, during this, the, the wildfire season and the smoke was definitely in the air and, you know, you didn't want to be outside as long as you needed for much longer than you needed to be. And I exited the uh, chemotherapy infusion center and <laughs> I, started, I started hearing the song, Celebrate coming from a very loud, uh, you know, kind of a PA system. The song you typically hear at the, at, you know, New Year's. And I look and about uh, 12 of my really good friends had, had set up with science. Uh, and it was just a, a huge, huge um, emotional moment. A, a big, a big, uh, you know, I, I, I can't express how, how much love I felt in that moment, but it was just a very emotional moment, and um, it really kind of it, it really felt like a bookend to uh, to what we had been, just been through. You know, it just really meant meant the world. Immediately after I recovered from my last treatment, I just I really just felt like I needed to get back, um, get my body back, and 
I uh, started riding my bike, um, you know, kind of maybe once every other day. I started going on jogs and, um, you know, slowly started getting more and more strength. And, you know, I put, started putting on weight again and, and my body just really started to feel like itself again. You know, my wife was very, uh, very motivating. You know, she's a runner and she really um, has been motivating me to, to, to keep on, you know, healing, not just physically, but also the, the mental healing that needed to happen as well. And I remember in um, October of 2020, I received the best email of my life, which is that um, my body had had a complete recovery, had, had a complete response to the treatments. I, you know, I pretty much just collapsed. I just didn't even know how to process that information. I was, you know, every, everybody who had told me, just keep on fighting, stay optimistic, you know, it just, it all came flooding in. And, um, you know, I, I just, I just felt like I had been given a second chance and it was, it was a huge, huge feeling. I began working again remotely in mid-October and uh, it was a great email to send back to my section manager saying, hey, I'm, I'm ready to come back. Uh, I'm ready to, to start working again and, and kind of ramping that up again. And that was that was a great feeling. The, um, you know, the exercise progressed and, um, I, you know, I was working remotely and, you know, on the side, kind of helping my daughter with her remote her distance learning of first grade. And um, in late December, I did something that I was really hoping that I would, uh, that I'd be able to accomplish in, in 2020. Um, I woke up early one day, um, I grabbed my bike, you know, I grabbed, I grabbed a couple of bananas, I grabbed two water bottles and a couple of energy bars. And I started at the base of Mount Diablo and, uh, you know, something that I had never done before and something that I'd always been wanting to try and I just went for it. You know, I took it slow and, uh, you know, I, I, it was a really, really chilly day. Um, you know, I had full finger gloves on, full lycra, all, all, everything to keep warm. The amount of time you spend alone on this climb, you really get to understand and you really get to have a lot of time to think about everything you've been through. And, you know, halfway up the slope, there is a, a junction. It's actually called the junction. There's a ranger station. I just kept on going. It was a, it was a place where I could have turned around and a lot of people um, use that as their, uh, as a spot to fuel up on water and, and take a, get a snack. I just kept on going. And, um, you know, the last 300 feet of the climb on Mount Diablo are uh, at an extremely steep grade, I think 20 to 25% grade. And you're out of your saddle and you're pumping and you're pumping. Um, and, you know, I, I almost, I almost didn't make it, but I made it to the top. And as soon as I got to the top parking lot, I completely collapsed on the ground and um, just emo emotion just completely washed over me. Just, I was, I was a groveling little baby. <laughs> I, I didn't even know how to process what, what had, had just happened. I, as I finally wiped the, 
the sweat and tears out of my eyes. And I was able to kind of look out, you know, it was a clear day and it was a very, um, you know, it was a very, uh, uh, you know, very symbolic. I could see everything. I could see um, the neighborhood where I grew up. I could see the house where I live now. I could see two, uh, two of the many schools that I went to in the neighborhood. I could see the area where I, where I, where I um, you know, failed climbing that mountain biking hill. And you know, in the, in the way distance, I could see, I could see Sutro Tower. And um, this all, you know, it, it was really just a place to take in everything that has happened and everything that, sim- that, that means something to me. It was just a, a powerful, powerful moment. I wish that this story uh, ended here, but um, you know, my my wife experienced some uh, neck and shoulder pain back in back in January after several doctors' visits. Um, they found a, a malformation in her her neck and skull, and um, my wife had to undergo um, a brain surgery. In a way, we've re- we've reversed our roles, and now I'm the one taking care of her. Um, I'm the one putting the girls to bed, uh, and um, I'm also the one who who you know is is talking her through this recovery that she's going through now. You know, I, I can't I can't really think of a better person to sympathize than myself uh, because of how how uh, you know how scary it can be, and and to and to know these to have these feelings that creep up at you at two of the clock, two o'clock in the morning, you know, and, and be able to work your way through them. And we are um, moving forward. My wife is recovering as well as she could have hoped, as all of us could have hoped to. She is extre- extremely strong, and uh, she is really, really kicking this thing's butt. So um, we're hoping we um, were able to get some good news for her, and we can really put this behind us and um, and and start to heal uh, again. <laughs> I've heard people's stories. I've laughed with people over the phone. I've cried with people over the phone. It's, it really takes something like my illness, you know, like COVID, like my wife's illness to really appreciate what it is you have and how volatile everything really is. That something you have now can be just stripped away from you in the course of, you know, a couple of weeks. And I think that empathy is something that I really would like to work on as well because you know I have my story and I'm fortunate enough to be able to tell my story but you know for for every one story you hear there's there's dozens and dozens out there that you don't hear and that might be someone's choice or it might be because there's no medium for that to a format for that to happen but everybody has their story and everybody has you know their struggle so you know I if someone cuts you off in traffic you know, they might be on their way somewhere. They might be late for a doctor's appointment. They might be, uh, you know, having, they might have had a very, really, a very rough night. 
dealing with something medical or something like that. So uh, I think empathy is something that, um, that I'm really going to take away from this experience. I'm Miguel Hernandez. Thanks for listening to Snapshots Still We Rise, a public works podcast. <laughs>